Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Jeff, the co-founder and CEO at Penpoint, and we discuss how to communicate the value of engineering inside of your company, the most important aspect of a co-founder relationship, and how engineering performance management will change everything. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So tell me a little bit about Pinpoint. Like I, I, I secretly know a little bit because I met with Nolan and them. And I was when I saw it. Here's here here's the here's how you got on the show. Like here's here's the progression of things. I saw this category emerge, and then I saw Pinpoint, and then I was like, dude, that's the accelerator guy. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, this is awesome. Let's talk about Pinpoint. Yeah. So, and you met Nolan, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. You know, Nolan, we don't let Nolan come out very often, certainly not in public. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Did you actually see his face or was it like a silhouette no. with like an avatar? It was a silhouette with an avatar. You, you only, you only saw Nolan through the demo. You can only see Nolan through the demo. So no, well, Nolan and I, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to tell you what he actually did. He actually used the iOS. He had like a teddy bear <laughs> head. The whole sure. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, most employees aren't sure if he really exists, if he's like our AI or if he's, he's a real person. I assure them he is definitely an AI. So we started Pinpoint um, after we sold Accelerator and we took some time off um, and helped the company that bought us transition because we were really, we're developers at the end of the day, both of us, and we built several development-oriented companies and we were frustrated um, as we got to be a much larger company at Accelerator, uh, and then certainly after we got to see the, the acquiring company, how big they were, they were a lot bigger than we were, um, multi-thousand developer sort of organization. And we were really struggling with like, how do you measure engineering performance? How do you tie outcomes of the engineering organization to sort of the business outcomes that the business wants to achieve? How do you, how do you give engineering sort of in a, a way to advocate for what they're working on and what's important and why they're making decisions. I mean, why are we going to go do this big re react refactoring or why are we going to do the CICD replatforming or why do we new, need to move to the cloud or, you know, what are these sort of, you know, inherently intrinsic things that happen inside of engineering that impact business, but aren't always easy to explain to business and, and vice versa, you know, business helping sort of engineering understand where businesses needs engineering to be and where it's trying to go. And so sort of how do you, how do you better build a language between engineering and non-engineering? Um, and how do you really help engineering be better in performance, right? And ultimately get the highest value. Engineering becomes more and more important to every company in the globe as technology becomes more and more important to every company of every size. Um, and we think that, you know, engineering is, is a trade, as a profession is super important. And we think there's, it's time really to treat it as such and, and to provide engineering what it needs and for, to help engineering you know, ultimately, how do you help engineers um, build software better? So let's talk about that why thing again. The moment the why gets lost, you and I are both engineers. I mean, we've been writing code for a very long time. And there's a point where you're like, oh, there's the need. You see it. You understand the why. And then you start turning that into specs and a to-do list and way to get things done, architecting it out. At some point, the why is detached and lost. At what point is, is it gone? That's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know the why. They focus too much on the how, right? Um, and the when. When's always elusive for engineering. Um, but but we like to spend a lot of time talking about the how, right? I mean, a lot of the content. And that's sort of one of the problems I think we we have as an industry. We, we and this is not bad. I mean, it's not sort of an indictment industry because I'm I'm part of this uh, just like you are. We spend a lot of time talking about how things work and and and. And to your point, a lot of things are detached from the why. Um, you know, why do we do Kafka? Um, and we talk about how it works and we talk about, you know, when, when to use it and things like that. But like you said, the why, especially from a business standpoint. So a lot, of, a lot of people, and it's not because engineers don't care. I think it's quite the opposite. I actually think, you know, I had so many conversations with engineers that really want to understand how is the customer using the software? Why are they using it? What are the, what are the use cases? You know, how, how is it working? They want to be sort of, they want to sort of understand and be connected to that. But I think especially in larger organizations, it just gets lost. It's this big, 
usually matrix, especially the bigger organizations. And it's just, we have to do things because somebody else above us told us we have to go do that. Um, and, you know, so, you know, and, and vice versa, like how do you advocate for the things that you are doing that really do have that impact? And that's, that's hard, um, especially in uh, engineers because a lot of times engineering is just looked at as this big black box because it is, it's a, it is a black box. It's hard to understand. Even, even like, you know, I've been long enough in the industry to remember way, 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 way before agile, but I mean, agile is a great example. I mean, love agile There's again, nothing wrong with agile, but it's purposely designed to be opaque, right. And, and to be sort of malleable between teams. So think about it from a, you know, business person's point of view. It's like, well, is it a pizza box or is it t-shirt size? And if it's a pizza box on this team and it's t-shirt size, now that's helpful at the team level, certainly. Um, but it, as you aggregate that up and look across an organization and, and look at it from a business standpoint, it's really, really frustrating, right? It's just, it's just a sort of really interesting set of opaque things that we don't really understand. We're always late. We always need more money. We always need more people. Um, and it's sort of this one organization that while it's the most important in a lot of companies, especially software oriented companies, that's the tip of the spear in a lot of companies and, and increasingly more and more companies, even non-technology companies, it's still this thing that's like we, we have sort of uh, Venus and Mars, right? How do you, how do you have a language between them? And it's difficult. And so this is what caused, this is like what inspired you to start pinpoint. You're like, we want to solve yeah. this problem. We, yeah, we sort of said, like, we're engineers. Like, if we're engineers and we built, when we, when Don and I uh, started up, so we built Titanium. I mean, you know, we were the engineers that we, when, what, the companies we like to build are we like to build things that are directly relevant to us, you know. And so when we started um, Accelerator, we wanted to build mobile apps and, and applications, and we were having challenges. And, and we sort of said, like, we need a framework to make this easier and faster. And, at the time, we were thinking about doing services and just sort of building things for other people, uh, which we did for about a year and a half. Um, and so we built Titanium just because we were like, this is frustrating, right? And, and, um, and then all of a sudden, we started showing it to a bunch of other developers, and they were all saying, wow, this is you know, it's equally frustrating to me as well. Can I use what you're doing? And we open sourced it, and sort of the rest is history. But it was sort of the same thing. We got to be a much larger company, and we felt like we were best equipped to understand how the technology worked. And certainly as founders and executives, we understood the why, but there was always this disconnect, no matter how close we were to the product, no matter how, no matter how much we could communicate with engineering, with other parts of the organization, there was still this very big disconnect often. Um, and it wasn't because engineers weren't doing their job or they, you know, or they were off doing the wrong things. It was just because it's difficult to synchronize back to the why, why are we doing things? What are the outcomes we're trying to achieve? And all the stuff in the middle is sort of the, it's sort of part of the process. It's the pipeline, ultimately, right? I mean, um, and we want to optimize the pipeline because what do we ultimately want to do is we ultimately want to build this new feature because it drives this new revenue or we want to build this new thing because it solves a, an, an automation problem that we have, right? It, yes, as engineers, we care also a lot about the, the how and the what and what it is because we care about our craft and we want to build good things. But at the end of the day, why we as companies employ engineers are to, to build things. And to do great, you know, to great, uh, get great outcomes from what we build. And so we always felt like if, if we're the best in some ways, if we're the best equipped to understand and sort of empathize with what's happening in engineering better than really in most companies, better than anybody, what is it like at a non-engineering oriented management team or a founder or a CEO that isn't that way, isn't well equipped or isn't that close to what's happening on the ground? I mean, what's that like? We got that opportunity um, we got acquired by this much larger public company and we were like, and they weren't at all technical as a software company, but the, the leadership team, wonderful people, amazing business leaders had no idea how this stuff worked. Um, and so I, we spent, I spent a year um, in this transition and Nolan and I sort of thinking, trying to help them do their own sort of transition um, as a company, but also then looking at like answering really simple questions as a business and being an outsider coming into a new technology, I understood accelerator, but trying to understand the rest of their portfolio and how we could reconcile strategically what we go do. You basically have to talk to people, right. And, and, and talking to people and, and you get a lot of bias, you get a lot of different information, you get, you know, suspect it's, it's just, it's tough. It's long, it's hard, it's arduous. It's not accurate. It's not data driven. Um, 
And so, you know, we just, we were like, man, this is, you know, if we look at sales, if we look at marketing, if we look at other areas of the organization, this kind of used to be this way in sales. It kind of was this way in sale and, and uh, marketing and PR. It's an unmeasurable thing. It's creative endeavors. You know, like sales, a great example. I had this debate with my head of sales at the time. You know, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, sales is easy. We have revenue and, you know, you hit those numbers. He said, yeah, in fact, it's the hardest because if you think about sales, I own really virtually nothing in the stack. I don't own customer success. I don't own the product delivery. I don't know how, how, how well we support the customer. I don't understand the procurement process of the customer itself. I really don't own anything, but yet I am solely responsible as an organization to deliver a revenue number to keep the business afloat. And if I don't do that or my people don't do that, number one, not only do they not get paid, but they also they get fired after quarters. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the case for engineering, but if you sort of look and sort of if you look at sort of other organizations that used to be chaotic, used to not be at all data driven, um, and every organization had their own process and, and specialty, I think engineering in some ways, we've, we've always felt like it's actually got amazing data. I mean, everything we do as engineers tracked. If I write source code, I check it into a source code control system. If I deploy systems, I'm using a CI CD system. I mean, everything I'm doing as an engineer is, is has ambient tracking already built into our system. Uh, but none of that data is being used at all to really help create better outcomes and provide better visibility, at least have conversations about what's going on. Um, and that was sort of our opportunity. We just kept saying, gosh, this makes so much sense. There needs to be an engineering performance management solution. There needs to be that sort of category, much like we have in every other part of the of the uh, companies, emerging companies, because engineering is just too critical. It's too important. Um, it would be like if the Dodgers went out and spent 20 or 30 or $40 million on a star pitcher and just said, hey, you're off on your own. Good luck. Let us know if you win some games, right? It'd be, it would be ludicrous. No, they're going to surround that person or those teams of people with the best. They're going to hire the best, and they're going to surround them with all and give them all the tools, all the infrastructure, all the statistics, everything they need to be peak performance. And we should treat engineering the same way. I think it's a craft. I think it's important. Um, to our to our civilization as technology becomes more and more important and I think we ought to treat it as such and we also need to be accountable to the outcomes and, and back to your original question of why engineers wants to know why what are the, the things that I'm doing how do they impact what outcomes the business is achieving right and then it also opens up the opportunity for how you can be better because I was looking right. at it with Nolan and I was like, my first thought was, how do you game the system? Like, if this is going to report on like yeah. quality of code, if it's going to report on these different types of, of metrics, the first thing is when I see metrics is how do you game the metrics? And the coolest thing about it was as we were exploring that idea, the only way to game the metrics is to become a better engineer. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, that was, Nolan and I spent a lot of time on this. You know, like any, any system, you know, there's always sort of flaws in the system, right? But that's exactly right. We always sat back and said, can we create a counterbalancing system by which if you, if you manipulate one thing, it actually either positive or negatively impacts another sort of counterbalancing weight, if you will. Um, and what's interesting about that, to your point, is it actually starts to make you think about gaming the system in a positive way. Uh, it's, no, it's no different than it happens in sales. Um, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I game it in sales, I want to make more revenue, right? I'm going to try to find – now, if you, if you do things wrong, if the commission plan is sort of not done well, then obviously, yes, you might have holes in that commission and you exploit it for maybe not the, the benefit of the company. Or if marketing, if you have sort of the wrong signal and you spend too much money in one channel that doesn't actually pr produce sort of outcomes, then – you know, maybe that's not necessarily good, but, but in all these things, I agree. It's like, how do we, how do we create good behavior that really helps great engineers continue to rise to the top? And it's not really about performance of the individuals, although of course that's always inherent in any time you measure anything, but it's always that old quip. If I don't measure it, how do I know to improve it? I mean, if I, if I, if, if I, if, if I don't, if I couldn't sit down with you, I mean, I should be able to sit down with you. If you're the CFO, I should, and I'm the CTO, I should be able to sit down with you and say, look, Joel, um, we really need to spend about a million dollars doing CICD and we're going to put this new piece of software in called Circle CI and we're going to really spend uh, two, uh, one quarter um, really investing internally in automation so we can really, and what we're going to get for that is we're going to get better cycle times, we're going to get a higher quality, we're going to be able to respond to customers faster. In fact, let me show you, we're going to be able to actually do 500 more features six sprints later um, and that's going to drive X amount more revenue. So, we could keep doing what we're doing and we're going to have sort of the results that we have, right? Um, or we could spend some money and do some automation. Here's what we're going to get from it from a business standpoint. 
And so that's an advocation of engineering to get better, you know, replatforming or better tooling or better infrastructure or making better technology decisions. But it's also then tying it to an actual specific outcome that the business can understand. Right um, now, all of a sudden, my CF says, "Okay, I can track that. I can understand what I'm getting for it. It's just not yet another tool you got to spend. I don't know what I'm getting it for it, and you can't explain it to me because it's too too difficult." Um, and, and to me, that's sort of the executive to executive, or executive to sort of senior executive or boards that really is the is 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 hard to do right now. It's a lot of narratives in our experience. A lot of trust me. And of course, you know, we do. I mean, if you, if, if I've got a board, if, if, if I say I need to do something, they're going to trust me ultimately, at least until they, you know, the, at least until I don't do it a few times and they maybe don't trust me anymore. I um, mean, the same thing happens in boardrooms and executive, executive rooms and it, you know, and then vice versa. Like if I'm inside the organization, let's say I'm a product manager or a head of engineering for a group, or, you know, product, I should be able to do the same thing. I should be able to advocate up to my management or to my peers within my organization about what we're trying to do and what, what it's going to impact. And I should be able to sort of tie that 360 to the whole organization. And I, and I think that it's going to make, to your point, great engineering is all about high performance. It's all about, you know, building better things. That's, that's inherent in what we do as engineers. We're always refactoring. We're always trying to build the next best thing. Engineering is never static. It's always dynamic. It's always changing. That's what's cool about our industry. Um, but with that, I think we need to sort of bring sort of the performance side of this to bear and, and help uh, companies really understand what we're getting for that. Yeah, you're always weary of the person who wrote code a year ago and is like, yeah, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, as we know, there's technical debt. Yeah. Um, there's, there's vulnerabilities. If, the, if, you know, if, if you don't have good distribution of code spread across the team, right, and you're sort of vulnerable as a company, or worse, I'm like the only engineer that when there's a, an issue that happens, I'm the one that has to get called on the weekend, right? I can't go on. I, there's always those cases where I, I can't go on vacation or I'm worried, you know, not to carry my laptop because, you know, and, and no, nobody wants to live that way. Maybe me a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> no, okay. no, I didn't. I, Certain heroes want to do that. No but one, it's not no great one's, for them. Or, yeah. No one's spouse wants you to live that way. <laughs> that's true. Well, no, that I, that's true. I don't know. I, I just, uh, I just was flashing back to carrying my laptop on vacation. I think that was less about being the, a hero and more about just loving to write code. <laughs> well, that's, that's yeah. me too. I'm actually going on vacation in the morning and um, I, I've gotten to about 15 years ago, I got to a point where I just no longer carry uh, my laptop, um, which is funny. If you, if you know me, I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mostly because like you, I like to code even when I'm not working. I mean, this is what I do is my hobby. And so I'm constantly doing it. And, and people are like, what, you're not carrying your laptop? Like, no, I mean, I'm going on vacation. I don't, I don't need it. So it's, it's, uh, I, I wasn't that way early on in my, in my uh, career and my, and my marriage, but luckily uh, I've changed. Yeah. For me, it was after having uh, kids, like yeah. there's, it's just like you, they're so small for so long. And like, you just, it's like, all right, well, first of all, there's no time because you're getting climbed on, but <laughs> um, right. yeah. So I was actually interesting, interesting topic. Cause you mentioned it a little bit. You said performance uh, engineering management, I guess that was one of the engineering, engineering performance management, I think is how we're thinking about it. Who knows the smart people at Gartner or yourself will kind of come up with a really piffy name, but that's what we, we think it means. That's what we think it call, we would call it. I like it. I think it's super self-explanatory. But I was talking about it with Archana, which is the CIO of Atlassian. And she and I were like, what do we call this category? This is before I heard, before I heard what it was called. Because um, there's a couple companies coming out in the space. And it, the way you explain it's so logical. Like the first time I saw it, I geeked out because as an engineer, I thought it was super cool, right? Doing projects and teams. And I was like, oh, this is really, really neat. But then the moment you said, I guess the the stickiest line for me is like you could sit down with the CFO and have this conversation about strategically this office operating more efficiently than this one or you know you could have a business build a real business case more than just a trust me or that's the smart technology guy we got to trust him type deal. I like I like the data driven approach and the transparency. Um, but we were talking about what the the title is and so I think that's a great working title. Now, are you finding that when you're um, talking with new customers, like the response, or, do you ever get people who are shy to buy it because it's like a newer category or is everyone just like, oh my God, water in the desert, like I'm so happy we have this now? 
Yeah, I mean, part of it's confirmation, our own confirmation bias, because, you know, we talk to people that probably care a lot about this area. They don't know what it's called and they don't even know it's even a category. They're just looking for, you know, a solution to a problem. Um, and, you know, certainly we're, you know, like any startup, we're focusing on early majority, early adopter, rather early adopter type com companies and, and category kind of leaders, if you will, um, that care about this. But yeah, I mean, I think it's been fascinating. I've probably talked to a thousand CIO, CTO, CEO, CFOs over the last year and a half, at least a thousand, probably more, but let's just say a thousand. And I've only had virtually maybe one that said, nah, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I don't need to worry about this. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of obvious, right? I mean, you know, in fact, what the biggest challenge, I think, as, an, as a category or, a, you know, as a set of people do, trying to solve this problem is it's almost become sort of conventional wisdom that this can't be solved. Like we've almost sort of like, at least outside of engineering, sort of like, oh, yeah, we can't track that. I'm not going to try. They tell me I can't. And, and even with, of course, within engineering, you would, you know, you would run into people that say the same thing. Oh, it's not measurable. You know, oh, it just can't count lines of code. And of course, we would agree, right? I mean, uh, any, any single data point, it's like looking at a sales, uh, you know, like it's like looking at a sales pipeline and said, oh, they had a meeting, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count that deal. And it's like, well, no, you're not going to count one single meeting. You're going to look at the ta totality of the sales campaign for every customer across every territory, across all the various factors in the pipeline, and then you're going to forecast. You're not going to just take any one single event or any single, one single data point. And, and so the, I think the challenge collectively we all have is that in some ways, on one hand, it's so easy to explain the need for this and you get an immediate response. But the problem is people not necessarily out seeking for it because they've, in a lot of ways they've sort of said, oh, this can't be solved, so I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Now, I think that's going to change a lot. I, I would think, in my opinion, if we look out five, five plus years from now, I think we'll look back and it'll be like anything else. It'll be like, I can't believe we did it this other way. Um, you know, when we look at like marketing, we look at sales, we look at a lot of organizations that way now. And I mean, it would be, it would be crazy for me, you know, if, if, if my marketing person wanted to go spend, which he does, wants to go spend a bunch of money in marketing, user acquisition or whatever, for him to come to me with a plan that didn't have by channel, what do I think the MQLs are going to be? What's the cost per conversion? You know, what's the effectiveness across the various channels and where am I going to place some bets and where am I going to spend money? And then what am I going to get for that? Like, it'd be ridiculous. Right. And then, and then to, and then to him to tell me, we're not going to track any of this. We're just going to run these dollars, spend the money, and we're going to hope for the best. Right. Um, it, it would be crazy. I would say, go back and try again, right? I mean, he wouldn't even, of course, come to me. But, um, and I think we're going to look five plus years from now, and I think it'd be very similar in engineering. I think it will, be, it will look back and say, wow, like, I can't believe we did it that way. That's crazy. Um, and so I think that's why this is such a big opportunity, because I do think that it is so obvious, if you will, if we, if, if we or others like us can solve this problem, which I believe we're far on that path, um, it's a massive opportunity for everyone and all boats rise in this, in this, uh, in this category. And I love it too, because one software alone, like the, the fact that you guys plug into multiple softwares with all your data, it's like you, you have productivity screens essentially inside of everything, like to right. some degree. But the thing that was cool about you guys, it's like a 360 productivity and it That's analyzes right. all of the data to give you like this complete view. And when I saw it, I was like, I, I need to let the world know this exists. Yeah. And I think what's cool is like the super secret, don't tell anybody kind of thing is, you know, we'll just keep it on this podcast is that I think what happens is for our, our big opportunity, I think is if we can make it easy to plug virtually anything inside the engineering toolkit, if you will, into pinpoint and then pinpoint becomes sort of this Uber business operations platform, if you will, um, both to help engineering, but also obviously like we talked about outside of engineering. And I think that's a huge opportunity. And I think what will happen if we can be successful is we'll reorient the engineering stack itself, everything. And we, we, we obviously had a play at this at Accelerator with our marketplace and our extensions and our community, but it'll be a very similar thing here technologically, but a much different impact. If we can effectively become the canonical if you will, data model for engineering, independent of how, what tool you use, independent of what process you use, independent of what language or technology or how, you know, what location, that's super, super valuable, we think. And that could be a huge opportunity as a platform company. So we, we know where you are today with Pinpoint and sort of how you got there from Accelerator, but 
I want to take it way back, right? The way back machine. I want to take it all the way back to, you know, little Jeff. <laughs> uh, when, when did you first fall in love with technology? Like where was, what was the hook? What was the moment? Yeah. So the moment for me, I was 12 years old. Um, I, um, I started with a, um, a TI-994A. So I'm, I'm, I'm of that generation sort of gaming was sort of Commodore 64, Commodore 168, Atari. Um, I, I, I saved up enough money um, and got some money from my parents and bought a, a TI-994A, funny enough, at Rich's. I don't know, that's a department store. I don't even know if they're around anymore, but they used to sell computers, right? Um, this is even before, um, you know, sort of the Apple. Um, and so uh, Apple was my next computer, Apple IIc. And I was just of that generation of kids growing up in the 80s, writing software. Um, I started writing software i was obviously writing games because like that was like as a kid at that age that was what i cared about that was sort of my world view was games so I, I i created a little company called bizarre software and we wrote a breakdancing game me and my stepbrother and we back then you would sell um you would sell things over newsletters basically it was a beagle brothers newsletters a couple other popular kind of computer geek newsletters and that's how you, you would literally write in and send a you know, amount of money to somebody and you would get a, you would get a, um, and that day it was a little tape um, and you could play the game. Um, that was sort of my love. And through sort of middle school and, and, and high school, um, I just kept up in that way. And as technology improved very rapidly, of course, during those years, eventually it became the Apple, the Mac, you know, and, and, and eventually then the IBM PC, I just kept writing software. Um, my parents owned a business and so I wrote, when I was in high school, I wrote some software for them to automate their office. They had typewriters and I wrote software. Uh, I wrote a database software in Fox Pro back then oh, and, and helped Pro. them. Yeah. Remember Fox Pro? Mm -hmm. So I wrote a Fox Pro application to put all their, they had filing cabinets of just files and they would type up a contract and mail it in surface mail, right? Mail it to somebody. They would mark it up, send it back. And this was a multi-month process, right? And so um, I helped them put their um, database, if you will, create a database of all their people, their contacts, and their, you know, um, you know, people they did contracts with. And then I helped them create a word processing uh, template that they could put all their contracts in, click a button, fill out a little thing, click a button, it would pr print it. And then I got them a fax, and then we would fax it. And that sort of changed their business dramatically. They started putting a – it started off with like a standalone computer in the, in the uh, sort of the side that somebody would go to to within a year, we had computers in everybody's desk um, and everybody had a computer and that just sort of became the way they worked. And, and yeah, that was sort of my early foray as an entrepreneur and as building things, uh, did a few things for other people. And um, I kind of took a detour. Um, a lot of my friends, of course, like everybody else went into um, college right after high school, I went into the military. Oh, nice. Um, um, I went into the U S Navy and I studied um, uh, avionics, uh, electronics. So I was a, yeah, basically electronics uh, warfare stuff in the Navy. Uh, and I worked on wow. a flight deck of an aircraft carrier um, during the first Gulf War. And so that was sort of my training. I was still doing computer oriented stuff. A lot, it was a lot more hardware at the time, but I, I was doing of course software stuff on the side while I was in the Navy. Um, and then I got out of school and um, I briefly went to uh, college on a GI bill for one year. But of course, as an entrepreneur, I started a, a company in high or in college and I ended up taking a leave of absence to start a company and, you know, grew that company and then started another company, started another company, started another company. And here we are today. So I've never really been employable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly self-taught, I guess I should say. And I've just been building software. When I say literally my whole life, I'm 48 years old, almost 48 years old, 47. I'll be 48 soon. Um, I literally mean that. So I've seen kind of a lot of different stuff. I've pretty much programmed in every language, every technology, every kind of system, every kind of computer you can probably imagine. That's amazing. That's so my, my start, uh, my father would take me to work with him. He's electronics engineer. He got his start because he had a bad home life. So at 18, he went into the air force and okay. then they had education opportunities to become an uh, electronics engineer. He did that. And then he did his, a big set of time at, um, out in uh, Las Vegas at uh, I can't Nellis Air Force Base, and they yeah. their big project, which came declassified a handful of. He told us about three or four years ago because it was like a twenty year classification, but they right. they put the um, first GPS system into the B thirty two stealth bomber. Oh. 
Nice. So when you said awesome. aviation electronics, I was like, dude, my dad was on the team that put the GPS into the stealth bomber. Amazing. And that was like a huge project that was like super classified. And uh, that's amazing. Isn't that pretty neat though? It's, it's pretty neat. Well, what blows my mind even to this day is like I was in for a fair, four years during the Gulf War. And what blew my mind was the technology that we had in, in 1992 or 1991. Um, and I think about it like when I got out of the military, it, it just blows my mind how much technology and how much innovation actually comes from our military or from NASA or from these sort of types yeah. of government oriented projects. It's amazing. And how far, far advanced they are. It's a little scary these days <laughs> with all the things that are going on. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, your mind starts drawing parallels. It's like they, they showed me this like, um, box in like the mid-90s or late 80s. And it was huge. And they were like, this is a GPS. Like this is, this is the GPS. And I was like, that giant like multiple foot by multiple foot thing is the GPS. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And now it's on a little microchip that, you know, is in pretty much every device in the world. Yeah. It's crazy. So do you write a lot? Do you, do you articulate your ideas or do you speak? I do. I speak quite a bit. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a great writer. Um, I, I do write. <laughs> I wish I could write more. Um, uh, I would say probably Nolan's the better writer. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm an expressive person, if you probably couldn't tell. So I spend a lot of time speaking or talking or uh, I write a lot of code. So that's my, my level of expression is, is, is code prototypes showing people like, here's how it all kind of works. And, and, and that's how I do it. Nice. Because I read your Medium article about the five things you do differently after a startup. Yeah. So I was like, oh, oh man. I like that, was super pop that was super popular. Yeah. And the thing that I like about it is I would say I'm a speaker first and a writer second right? Because when you're, when you write and it sounds like someone's speaking, that's my favorite type of content yeah. to read, right? That's me. Yeah. 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 I try to write like I would just, if we were having this conversation, right? Cause I think it, Hey, that's just the only way I know how to do it. I'm not a good writer. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's just, you know, that's exactly right. That's how I do it. Cause I'm very similar to you. I would speak first. I'm very, very comfortable. I've spoken a lot, um, over the years. Um, but writing is, you know, it's, I don't get to do that as often. It's harder. It, oh, it's way harder. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, even when I take like Q and a sessions from the talks I give live and I condense them into writings for blog posts, just have different mediums. Um, I just, I've trained my team to do it and I, yeah. and then I just kind of approve it and make sure the tone is really smart. neat. doesn't get lost. Uh, That's smart. But one of the questions we get from the audience a lot, and I'd say I, maybe 20, 30% of the CTOs I have on are have like co-founders or CEOs of co-founders, but you and Nolan are co-founders, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So one of the questions I get a lot now that I have co-founder here in front of me, um, re relationships, incredibly important, but some relationship tips, some things that you and Nolan have learned throughout your career working together. Can you share some of, some of the insights, some of what you've learned? Yeah. Well, I, well, first of all, saying we have an amazing relationship. This will be our 19th year working together wow. um, in our third company. And he's a extremely special person and, and I have the most respect for him. I truly think of him as a partner um, above all else um, and certainly as a friend. What I think is great about our relationship and how we work together, which is short of magical. I mean, I, I, that sounds corny to say, but it, it really is. We're probably the most different people you could meet in some ways. I'm an extrovert. He's an introvert. I like being in front of people. He hates it, obviously being an introvert. He's a good writer. I'm a good speaker. He's a great speaker, actually. I'm an okay writer. You know, it's sort of like we have a lot of compliments. He's phenomenal on the product. I'm phenomenal on the engineering and architecture and design. He's, again, he's a great engineer, you know, and I'm good at product. So it's sort of like what's interesting is we've just for better or worse or for however, I don't even know how it's worked out. We've just sort of staked out our own areas and we figured out how to like take the best of at the best of like what we're both good at and just we're super happy with our roles. I mean, you know, there's never really been conflict. I mean, you know, you have debates and yeah. we certainly will have knockdown drag out discussions, but in the end we walk away like as we always walk away with a unified, uh, even, even when we disagree, we disagree probably almost 98% of the time on implementation or different way of looking at it. It's not a fundamental disagreement. It's a disagreement about how do we approach it or what should we do this versus that. So this, the, the sense of how we move forward is always the same. 
Um, and there's always trust and unification about what we're trying to do. It's just a sort of different points of view, which we, we enjoy. That's why we debate it often, um, because we, we do have such different points of view that, that helps us come up with a better, you know, better uh, uh, plan forward. Um, and I think that's how, you know, I think what, that's how it's been, we've been able to work this way. And, 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 and we're really good at like coming up with product, you know, because of this compliment, I, I think because like, um, because what I care deeply about, you know, if we just talk technology for a moment or product for a moment, what I care deeply about, he's kind of okay to like, let me deal with it. Right. Cause he, he, he cares a lot less about those things. And what I care a lot less about, he cares deeply about. Right. And those are, they're both critically important to how you build a great product, right? The combination. And, and I would say rarely does one person have both, you know, in, in one body or one, you know, one soul have that. And, and so what you end up having is like, you have other people, of course, that fill some of those roles. Um, and so I think one of the benefits we both have too, is we're both deeply technical, of course, um, but we're also deeply business oriented. We, we, can, we can both go very deep in finance or marketing or other areas of the business equally deep in those areas, both of us. Um, so that also makes us very comfortable. Um, you know, even if we, if I hand off something to him for a while, um, like a marketing or helping me on sales or something because I don't have time right now. I'm totally fine with what he's going to go do and, and vice versa. If I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on this and I need to go do this over here. Uh, you know, he's totally fine with that for me and we can kind of easily move, move between these things. And that's, again, I think that's somewhat rare. I think, you know, a lot of co-founders, not probably not, um, I don't specifically know what this is, but a lot of co-founders, you kind of have a business and a, and, a, and a technology person and that's sort of the, and that's not a bad trade-off. I and mean, that's certainly a good trade-off. Um, or you have kind of two deeply technical co-founders and they have a lot of overlapping skills. Um, and I think like we don't, so like where we're, where we're, where we're strong, we're equally strong in the business side. So that means we can sort of easily move in and out of that. Um, and we're also equally strong on the technology side, but like if we polarize it, I would go to the engine, deep engineering side and he would go to the deep product side. Um, he's got a much more fascination and expertise around really thinking about a business problem and really thinking about how do you express that in the UI or how do we, you know, how do we sort of suss out really what the use case is and what the customer might want to do and the empathetic side of like the product that you need. I of course care about those things, but I, but I'm always going to gravitate towards like how it works and like, how do we make it scale and how do we kind of get a lot of engineers working on this and a framework around this so we can scale the engineering and all that. And so that's sort of how we divide the world. And, and I think we've just learned to be, in, you know, both empathetic to each other, very, very trustful to each other, probably because you, you know, that only happens over lots of time. Um, and, you know, um, and that's probably how we've learned to do it. I don't know how to teach other people or tell other people how to do this. Cause I, I just could never, I've had a co-founder before, actually a couple of other companies. Um, and it was sort of this, and they were wonderful people. So, um, but it was more of this business and I was a technology guy and it was sort of just a different uh, dynamic. It wasn't a bad dynamic. It was just different. I think our dynamic is unique and different and super, super powerful. No, I tell you what, I've talked to a lot of people. I like that you've done the, like the thousand plus because people say like, for me, it's like, yeah, that's like two, two a business day, two or three a business day. If you like do the math yeah. out. Right. But yeah, when you talk to that high volume of people and you get to hear, you know, maybe 40, 50 co-founders, the, the way you describe the relationship specifically on your skills and strengths, that, that was super unique. I was excited while I was listening to that. But the thing yeah. that was um, grabbing at my mind, what's the origin story? How did you meet Nolan? Oh, great. Great question. So I started a company three companies ago. Um, it was a software telecom company. We both lived in Atlanta and I was, I had, it was a dot-com and I had another company I had started that sort of flamed out um, uh, during the dot-com. It's called eHatchery. It was a Y Combinator sort of idea back in those days. Of course, we didn't have a Y Combinator then. Um, and I, I, um, I was fortunate that as the, the dot-com world was blowing up, um, I took a little bit of money uh, and we started a company called Vocalocity, which is a telecom, software telecom company. Um, and Nolan was employee probably five or six as an engineer. So uh, he, he joined us as an engineer uh, through another person who kind of ran product for me. 
um, who had worked with him at another company. And so he um, joined and I worked really closely with, you know, all the engineers. And um, so he was building out um, an analytics product, actually, funny enough, kind of come around circle. He was building an analytics product for this company. And we just started working really closely together. And over time, over the probably six years, that company before we sold it was about six years old. Um, he just did a di bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different things over, uh, you know, in engineering, obviously. Um, and right before he sold the company, he was running a labs group, kind of an R and D labs, uh, looking at innovation and kind of the future products we could build. And I just really enjoyed working with him. And I, of course I was working really closely with him because I was, you know, driving a lot of the innovation. Um, and we sold that company and I just, I really like working with him. And so we just said, we should keep working together. Let's find a way to keep working together. Uh, and that's when we started Accelerator. Um, we, we, we decided um, between selling the company or, you know, after we sold the company before we sort of started um, really kind of getting going with Accelerator, we said we should consult and we should build some apps for people technology wouldn't call apps back then really. So we should build outsource technology for people. We know how to build software. You know, we had a couple of people that were with us from the previous company. And so we started a consulting company. That's what Accelerator started as a small little consulting company. And we had a couple of customers that wanted us to help them build some product. And that's how we started it. And then very quickly we got into titanium, you know, that was sort of the origin into titanium and we just kept working together and we moved immediately. We moved to um, the Bay area of uh, San Francisco um, that year. Um, and then we just doubled down. That was 2007. We moved to the Bay area in 2008. So, uh, and at that point, you know, we just built titanium. Oh, I love it. And yeah. I think you did give, like, as you were talking about your relationship with co-founders, you know, it's not necessarily like teaching people, but just the way you explain it, hearing what a successful co-founder relationship sounds like. It's like, you want to take marriage advice from the couples that have been married 20 years, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, hey, that's me in two weeks. Yeah. 20 years? Yeah. 20 years in two weeks. That's right. <sighs> Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I tell people I've known Nolan and we've worked together almost as long as I've been married to my wife. Right. Yeah, isn't that crazy? What's her name? Her name's Jenny. Jenny? Virginia is Virginia is her is her legal name, but the her uh, her nickname is Jenny. Jenny. G I N N Y. Nice. Yep. My wife's name is Michelle. Oh, nice. Yeah. How how many years? Uh. Oh my God! Don't say um. Two. We'll we'll block we'll block this out. We'll just we'll. we'll. <laughs> Jake's gonna take this and just Jake's we'll, gonna we'll edit this. this out. Yeah, yeah, edit that one out. Yeah, two, two. two? Yeah. Yeah, okay. a little bit more than two. You got a little bit. You got a little bit more to go. I got. I got a little bit more than two. We got. We have two kids. We just had our second one, a little boy. Oh, so we got. Great. Um, Congratulations. We got nineteen-month, twenty-month-old girl, uh, Aria, and then a three-month-old little boy, Lachlan. Nice, Lachlan. That's cute. I like that. I have three. I have two boys and a girl. My oldest is nineteen. I have a seventeen-year-old and a fifteen-year-old going on twenty-five. Wow. Yeah, a girl, and she's yeah. She's the, she's, she's, she's fun. It's uh they grow up fast. I know. It's amazing. Like you, you hear the whole like daddy's girl thing or whatever. And then like, you don't realize how much you will love the kids until you have them. Like you just like would do it. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, so true. it's indescribable. Yeah. It's biological. Yeah. It's like yeah. you wake up at three, like I woke up at three in the morning the other day, she was having a nightmare or something. And it's just like, Oh, and then you get in there and then they like stop crying and they're just like hugging on you. And like, you're like, I am the hero. Like, that's right. Like, and then all of a sudden anything. it's like worth, it's worth it. It's like, what, what next? Right. Give me the next challenge. Um, yeah, man, that's exciting. And, and then you're, you said you're in, uh, Austin, you're in Texas. That's right. We just, me and my wife, uh, moved here last, uh, late fall last year. Uh, Nolan's still in the Bay area. Okay. Um, I, I decided to move here. Um, and then I brought a couple of people with me and yeah, we now have our headquarters here and we've got, uh, probably, uh, there's 35 people in the company and we've got about 20 ish people here in Austin, probably maybe a little bit more. How do you like it there? I love it so far. It reminds me of like, um, it reminds me of like when I got to the Bay area, maybe not as big, but when I got to the Bay area in 2007, 2008, it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, it's certainly not as big and not as many companies and all those, but it's really, it's exciting and fun. And there's a lot of things going on in Austin, Austin itself, independent of technology, such a cool place. Um, so it's sort of, sort of this diverse atmosphere of lots of people, lots of interesting things, young people, everybody doing kind of interesting things. Um, 
And so that's what I really like about it so far. So this, it's really fun. This year I, I visited like, I don't know, 20, 30 cities, but I haven't got to Austin yet. Oh, you have to come to Austin. Yeah. So now that I have, now that I know you there, it's like, we'll, bring, right. we'll bring the team out. We'll do some yeah. video. It's always good for like a LinkedIn post. And yeah, cause I think it would be cool to see, to see that city. I know we have some uh, connections past there, like to the universities. We have some people that, uh, universities and the tech incubators there. So if you're, yeah. You're yeah, not already connected you. to them. Maybe that would be useful. There's, there's some amazing stuff. UT is an amazing school. They've got a really yeah. good machine learning school, mm-hmm. um, data science school. I mean, it's just uh, there's some amazing stuff in Austin. It's it's also like I'm traveling a lot between San Francisco and New York every month, okay. and uh, I'm always on a flight going back to San Francisco. And I would say half the flight are Bay Area transplants that have moved to Austin. It's it's so funny. Oh wow. So. Yeah, it's a lot of people moving here. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that Apple and Google and Facebook and all the you know Amazon, Amazon. and all the big ones also have huge you know huge plans or already huge people you know lots of people here they're building buildings. Building um, rockets. You know, yeah, that's true. That's what that's I true. was like. I was gonna say like, wh- why did you choose to go out there? Did you hear like Musk was building some rockets and Bezos was building rockets? You go go out there. What what made you choose? Like, how did you put your finger on the map and you were like Austin? Well, I'm an engineer, so you know, I went through an engineering process. So I basically looked and said, you're gonna, you know, some people might find this funny. So I said, okay, what state has low to no income tax? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to pay any more than already I've had to pay. Um, and uh, and and where where because I do travel back and forth between the coast a lot, um, I, I wanted to be somewhere equidistant, ideally. And Austin's great because I can get to New York or I can get to San Francisco kind of in three three and a half hours on either direction. Really? Nice. Um, yeah. And then the time zone is nice because you're kind of on you're straddling sort of both sides of the time zone, East Coast and West Coast. Pretty pretty nice. Um, and then it's just an up and coming tech community. It's, it's like this kind of cool, next cool, undiscovered tech community. And it's all the big giants are moving here, which is sort of good and bad, right? I mean, you know, we're going to have some of the same problems any big city has eventually. Um, but it's also like, you know, you can sort of have to some degree an unfair advantage if you're a well-funded Silicon Valley startup here in Austin. So whereas, you know, in Bay Area, there's 10,000 other of just like you. Yeah. And your money can go farther. That's right. Get a different type of feel. You get talent the quality of life yeah. is better i mean I, you know it's different i mean i love the bay area don't get me wrong i still spend a lot of time there i have a lot of friends there um you know it's a very special and unique place um but i just austin's really cool yeah so is boulder i was out in boulder and i Boulder's really boulder's one of the people that was one of the places on our list portland boulder um austin actually nashville is pretty cool too Dude, i was there I was last still- week yeah, I was feeling like it was a little too far and it had some other things that, you know, weren't, weren't, you know, didn't sort of check my list. Boulder was the same kind of thing. It was a little too inclusive, meaning, meaning like the community was a little too small, not in a bad way. That's actually a positive for most people, but it was also sort of hard to get in and out. And so I was worried a little bit about that um, travel and otherwise. Yeah. But Austin was just right. Austin was just right. I don't know. A lot of other people are doing it. So I don't know if it's the right choice or what, but no. uh, we'll see in a few years. It's awesome. I love it so far. Well, the best thing about it is you make a decision. That's right. And then if you need to, you just make another decision. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Right? Exactly right. Well, Jeff, dude, we made a podcast. I know. It's amazing. This is fantastic. It's like a baby. Yeah, I know. And we did it. Is there anything it's else? Not like it's, it's not. Yeah. I was it's like, ah. our, 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 our wives would not 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 care about that statement so i apologize it's okay. internally i was like let's roll with it because you've been a fun person to hang out with <laughs> yeah, exactly. no yeah it's been really fun i really appreciate it and you've asked great questions well real quick, we should do this again yeah for sure real quick before we go like since we're still recording this whole time people want to find out more about pinpoint how do they do that uh pinpoint.com it's spelled p-i-n-p-o-i-n-t.com so it's pretty easy you can go to pinpoint reach out reach out to me I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to talk directly. I'm a pretty open person. So Jeff at pinpoint.com. Um, and uh, yeah, love to help anybody out there. Independent of pinpoint. Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter more? Um, you know, I was heavy, heavy Twitter for a very, very, very long time. I've tried to get out of Twitter. I'd still am on Twitter. Um, Jay Haney, J-H-A-Y-N-I-E. Um, I just, I've cut my usage down to like once a quarter, really. I consume it like maybe twice a week now and I try not to write too much. Um, that was not the case two years ago. Um, LinkedIn, of course, I'm still on like everybody in the world's on LinkedIn. Um, but LinkedIn's become a little bit, you know, a little bit too spammy for me, but, uh, 
Yeah. And medium, I love medium, but again, I think there, you know, there's some challenges there with their business model. And, and so it's good. It's, you know, it's not as fun as it was two years ago. And we have a large audience, technical talent, scaling from individual contributor, lots of lead engineers, lots of CTOs, all the way up and through the stack, VPs, directors, all of that. The most ideal type of person, what type of culture does Pinpoint have and who's the type of person that you're currently looking to attract? Um, well, on the customer side, certainly it would be, you know, lead engineering leadership um, of, at any level, right? We want to have conversations with people, again, independent of, you know, I'm an entrepreneur first and, and technologist. Um, at the end of the day, I just want to talk to great people about what they're doing and, and, and we're willing to talk to really anybody independent of pitching the product or selling them anything. So if there's anybody who would like to reach out, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and then certainly, you know, we're also really interested in trying to find ways to improve engineering, individual engineers' lives as well. I mean, um, that's not been a big focus yet to date, but in our vision, Nolan and I have a very, very big vision around that. We are obviously engineers ourselves, and we don't, engineers don't care. In my opinion, engineers just don't care about analytics. Um, what they care about are like, how do we get better outcomes? How do you help me work? How do I get away from the ceremonial crap that doesn't help me write better code? Um, and that's, we have big ambitions, we think. Once we get sort of one part of the piece working, we're going to really focus a lot on that. We feel like we have a, 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 a good point of view and a background on how to help engineers. Yeah, he, he alluded to that a little bit because I, I instantly picked up on it in our call with Nolan. I said, dude, so if you gamify the system, that means that, that you have to become a better engineer. So where's the content that tells you like what you can actually yeah. do to be better? That That just was like the natural next step. It's like, how do you how do you help these people actually get the better outcomes? Yeah, and I think there's issue ways to meet developers where they're at and in the tools that they're at. You know, like a developers might be in a Visual Studio Code or, uh, you know, a JetBrains type IDE, right? They're not going to necessarily be in a dashboard or they're going to be in a, a Slack channel or whatever. And so we've got really great vision and ambition around what we want to do there. I'm pumped so, up, man. I'm excited. The yeah. future is bright for Pinpoint. I'm, Thank I'm you. so grateful that you took the time uh, out of your day to come hang out and talk about technology, learn about how, how you fell in love with it, the big problem that you're solving. That's like probably the biggest problem that I've come across this year. I'd say of all the products and all the services, this is the, the one it's, and it's I'm biased because it's close to me, but being able to articulate uh, what's going on in engineering is just, it's, it's amazing that you guys are doing this and I'm super grateful that you're spending your time on these problems. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. And we'd always love feedback. So awesome. thank you so much. And then um, we're, we're headed off to Sweden and like the next week or two to do some talks out there. We apparently have like, Sweden's got huge booming tech community. Are you going to Malmo? Yeah, Where are Malmo. you going? Yeah, mm -hmm. I love Malmo. We had a big, uh, we had a really big, Absolver had a really big Swedish community in Malmo and other other areas as well. So I got to go there a few times. Yeah. It's a really awesome place. It'll be, our, it'll be our first time. So I'm excited. Oh man, it's really nice. Yeah. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. And then when, when we get back from that, I think we've got some stuff in Georgia and then back to Tennessee, but then, um, I'll let you know because I want to come out and see Austin, meet all the people that are there. And then we will always like, uh, when we visit the companies, we do like little videos and stuff. That way it'll just get you more exposure and things. Cool. However we can help. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, Joel, man. It's been great. Yep. Have a great day. Man. Talk soon. Talk soon. See ya. see ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.